Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The most comprehensive coverage of the world's greatest motor race anywhere on the planet. This is Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Le Mans 2021 and Haggerty Radio Le Mans, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. I'm John Heindorf. So much to get our heads around this year with brand new regulations for the top class of prototypes at Le Mans, leading to a global prototype category. And, you know, Le Mans one of those circuits, isn't it, where you can't just turn up there and close it all down for a week and have people come and do some data runs so that you can prove that your regulations are where you thought they were. But that's the situation that the ACO found themselves in when they built these uh, extremely open and varied regulations for LMH and for Hypercar. So did they get it right? Well, ultimately, we won't know, will we, until after test day and probably after Le Mans itself. But a man who can help us discern how close the ACO got and whether they were all right, all wrong or somewhere in the middle is a very highly uh, uh, technical contributor to race car engineering uh, and someone who I'm delighted to have on Haggerty Radio Le Mans. Uh, Andrea Quintarelli, welcome uh, to our radio station, Andrea. Uh, and, And the first thing we've got to say is, of course, you can't do this in real life. So modelling and simulation uh, is is where you have to go with that and presumably the manufacturers have been doing exactly the same thing as well yeah i guess so first of all hello everybody nice to be here i'm really honored um yeah i mean as far as i know as far as i heard um this is always the first step when approaching a new gar and new set of regulations so it was a good chance also for, for us, for Escar Engineering, to analyze um, if the results, the targets, and the performance that we were expecting, we are expecting, and the regulators are expecting in Le Mans, um, is what we would came to with our models, with our assumptions or not. And uh, yeah, I would su- suppose that the teams did the same work actually up front probably in a much more detailed way than what we did but principally probably in a similar way yeah ultimately we don't have any real world data andrea from le mans for all of the reasons that everybody understands so uh, there first of all you have to choose a baseline uh, and with that you have some known data and you chose uh, lmp2 um from last year, 2020, which was a sensible place to start. Uh, You have to make some assumptions. But there was also, after the early part of the WEC, the World Endurance Championship season, the chance to add some real-world data in as well uh, from Spa, which is a circuit, of course, that many teams down through the years have chosen to go and race at, uh, even if they're not part of the WEC, to get some baseline data in the real world as well. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, it's all right. We we started with um, with the LMP2 vehicle model that I already worked on since some years. I mean, basically, the LMP2 car stayed the same since 2017. There was some evolution, but mainly um, on the setup and tire side. 
and we use that as a baseline also to to validate really our our um, our first simulation to understand also how much we should correct the results of the simulation mm. uh, to to get closer to to proper track performance let me say a simulation is always an ideal world so um, the computer is always driving the guy at the very edge of performance the simulation itself is based on assumptions to to simplify the calculation so yeah you have to use a say let's say a, a sensible approach not just look at that blindly i would say but always take care not to come to wrong conclusions and then we applied this to um, to the information we had regarding the new LMH class, uh, which is contained mainly in the regulations. Um, this includes the new mass, the engine power, the um, tire dimensions, that, and and other other pieces and bits. Um, what was missing? It, that's what I underline in the article is that. The ACO didn't make, or the FIA didn't make any information about the aerodynamic public. Mm. That means we had to base our our model on what uh, the press actually uh, told us in the previous months, and also on what we knew from some insiders. Let me say, I don't want to say too much about it. Of course, that. of course, never um, give away your sources, Andrea. Exactly. Absolutely right. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I mean, basing on this information and basing on the simulation we did, um, it looks reasonably to assume that at least um, if everything is, is met, I mean, all the expectations also in terms of uh, performance in, in the regulations are met, they, they did good work. I mean, no, the, oh, the performance we expect is close to what uh, has been told in, in the press, actually. So this tri- 3 minutes 30 race pace, more or less. That's, that's quite impressive, starting with brand new regulations and, and no data, because they have to conceive of that in their mind. And there's not one LMH car. Obviously, you can have a bespoke prototype with a... Uh, with a hybrid, without a hybrid, a road-based car with a hybrid, without a hybrid. So all-wheel drive, two-wheel drive, some very different parameters that that had to be built into their thinking for the regulations, not an easy thing to do. Now, when you say simulations, you're not talking about the sort of simulations that would have a driver sitting in a cockpit and physically driving a car around a representation of the track, I presume. You're taking raw data um, from all the sensors... Um, and all the parameters that you can measure on a race car nowadays. Right, right. I mean, there are two big families of simulations if we look at motorsport right now. On one side, there is driver-in-the-loop simulators, the one you you mentioned, and on the other side, there are what many call um, offline simulation. Um, Both have a place, uh, and both have their pro and cons, let's say, uh, but what we used for this study was really an offline simulator, so a lap time simulator. Mm. Um, so we basically uh, put all the data that we had about the car, and some of them are, of course, uh, an assumption. For example, for the tires, it's difficult to get any data in general, and in particular for these new cars, it's nearly impossible to access any data the constructors and also the teams keep them of course very very jealously mm. so we um use again um what we got for the lmp2 cars 
uh, as a baseline uh, to yeah to adapt them and to model the LMP, LMH car. But yeah, it's basically a, a synthetic simulator if you want. The driver is, a, is yeah is a computer or anyway the the code that you write uh, for for the simulator itself and it's really exploring the car always at the very edge of performance so you have to again be careful with uh, with the assumptions and with the way you analyze the the results because not always a, a real driver can do the same as, as a computer, let me say. Well, indeed so, and that's why we watch uh, motor racing with drivers in rather than right. uh, the people, clever people who write code and could automate our, our racing cars. I'm sure it could be done, but I'm not sure uh, it would be quite as, quite as entertaining as having two drivers in vastly different cars trying to beat each other uh, on a track. Now, the, the good news for you is that you did, as I say, have some uh, actual real-world data and some real-world lab times to look at from Spa uh, this year and in fact your simulation model was very very close uh, to the times we saw in the WEC uh, in in real life in the real world uh, earlier on this season. Yes right I mean there is a um, let's say a we have to clarify that a bit I mean um, of course the again the simulation mainly in a track like Spa, which is a very complicated track to model because it's uh, very 3D, let me say. Also, the weather conditions play a big role there because they're changing all the time. Uh, anyway, yeah, the simulation we did uh, went reasonably close to the performance uh, that to- the Toyota actually uh, achieved during qualifying. But they also showed, indeed, that um, the... I mean, again we could be completely wrong with that because we don't have the data that the manufacturers have. But basing on our assumption, and again, comparing the LMP2 performance in SPA with the qualifying data that we got out of the race, uh, we had expected the Toyotas to be a bit quicker than they were, also considering that in SPA they were allowed allowed to use um, really the maximum engine power uh, allowed by the regulations. Um, So yeah, on this Side indeed, uh, the performance was let's say in the ballpark we expected, but uh, on the upper edge, let me say, or okay. even a bit <laughs> over the upper edge. So I, I can imagine that uh, the cars, the LMH cars, will perform a bit better in Le Mans than just translating the performance they had in Spa um, to a different track like, like Le Mans, let's say. Uh, and through your simulations, and, and you talked about Toyota there, um, but we're looking at the general set of regulations for LMH rather than a, a particular car in, in, in the general uh, reporting that you have in your article in, in the current issue of race car engineering. Uh, really worthwhile, by the way, if you haven't got it. It's got the, uh, the, the new Peugeot on the front, the 9 times 8 the 72 as I'm still calling it, as it is Department 72 for, for Le Mans. Um, uh, you're talking about the rule set rather than necessarily, Andrea, a particular car, so not necessarily the Glickenhaus or the Toyota. Or have you been able to, to look at those two types of LMH and get some idea of the relative performances of those cars? Um, no, I mean, the model is based really on the regulations. The, the nice thing on our perspective, um, as, a, as, a, as a fan, let me say, or as a spectator, 
uh, with a bit of technical interest is that the regulation now really set uh, the, the performance boundaries of these cars. It's not in, like in the bus where there were um, area where the dims could work and it really depended on how good the dims or the manufacturers were um, to understand how much performance they could extract out of the regulation. Here, it's really, uh, the regulation is nearly free, completely free in, in some areas, but uh, the team have simply to respect, simply, <laughs> not that easy, but simply to respect boundaries that the regulators gave. Right. So from... Um, and these are performance boundaries as well as physical boundaries. We used to say in the old days, give a motorsport engineer a box to build something in and, and let them go wild and we'd get some really interesting things. Yeah, yes, yeah. there are physical dimensions, but we're talking about performance boundaries, a performance box, if you will. Right. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that's really the point. I mean, that, I think that was also the goal of this regulation to make redundant really to invest money and resources in really exploring every tiny bit, for example, on the aerodynamic side, on the engine side, and just uh, give the manufacturer a set of performance that they have to respect. So even if you are faster, you will be back down. So it makes probably no sense to... Um, on a certain way, let's say, to, to go over the edge. But, yeah, we, we will see. I mean, I'm curious to see if this will really uh, work as expected because uh, make the rule, find the trick, right? I mean, there is always room for interpretation, for, um, <laughs> uh, let's say, for exploration, I would call it. Um, we, we, offer, we offer a perspective in the article regarding the aerodynamics, um, of course, this is based on our understanding of the regulation and the few information that are available outside the manufacturers, which is really, really limited. Um, but again, depending on how these rules are then written, uh, the teams can, can find tricks or the regulators can use the regulation themselves to, to slow down the guy easily if they are too fast. But yeah. yeah, the revolution is really that now there is a defined performance boundary, let me say, and you cannot go outside of this, per this boundary, which is, yeah, if you want a balance of performance, but uh, it's still probably what attracted so many manufacturers. Yeah, because it, there's several different ways of, of reaching that, as we saw in the early days of uh, LMP1 hybrid uh, with the different... Uh, energy storage systems, the different engine sizes, the different fuels, in fact, even uh, in, in that. Um, were you able, one of the big questions, I suppose, this year at Le Mans, Andrea, is how competitive the uh, heavier and slightly power-limited LMP2 cars will be. Were you able to, to shed any light on that in terms of a, a lap time that the changes for that, or did you just... Uh, concentrate on on the LMH cars? We focus on the LMH cars. Um, what is clear is really that uh, the performance of the LMH car, both in race and in qualifying trim, would have been really, 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 really similar to the 2020 LMP2 specification. Oh, really? So it really makes sense that, um, or let's say, we can discuss what does it mean makes sense but anyway it it's <laughs> it's a sensible approach let's say uh, to to slow down the limp2 class um because otherwise they were probably as quick if not quicker 
than uh, than LMHK on Le Mans. Um, what we saw is clearly that the performance is built up in a completely different way. The LMP2 car was lighter, is still lighter, even in, in this new iteration of the regulation, and um, has also a different approach to, to downforce, let me say. The downforce is also, as far as we know, a bit higher than the current uh, LMH target. So yeah, the, the LMP2 would have been a bit um, yeah slower, if you want, on a straight line, mainly in acceleration, but would outperform in this 2020 specification the LMH car in the corners, mainly in the fast corners. So Porsche curves in particular, that that's that's exactly. a, and that's a big part of the lap time comes from there nowadays. Right. It's not like the old days where you just trimmed everything else and went hell for leather down the straights and dealt with the corners by just slowing down and hoping your driver could get round it. That's that's not been the case for some time at Le Mans now, and those fast sweepers are very right. important to your to your overall lap time. Right, right, exactly. And this is really where the Olympic 2 cars are so efficient and so effective, actually. And um, so, yeah, there, um, of course, there are some, probably some limitations now, mainly because of the engine, but also because of the the additional weight that they got. Mm. But they will be still very effective there, I can expect. But yeah, the the LMH car will out will outperform them completely on the on the fast uh, on the fast straights on the long straights uh, because yeah the, the power is higher and uh, much higher. <laughs> the LMP2 are now also less power on the engine side. I don't have a number for you to be honest. I didn't uh, try uh, to um, to simulate the LMP2 car in Le Mans. What I did, for example, is to try and and understand what we would expect in a track like Monza, Mm. which is, uh, from a certain perspective, similar to Le Mans. It's all about, let's say, mainly about straight line speed. And the new regulation, not considering the tires, which is an element, again, also in LMP2, that can make a huge difference. The new regulation, so that means mainly the, the weight and the engine power, produce a difference of about 2.3 seconds per lap. And um, in the end, um, and that's assuming really exactly the same identical condition, so really putting a car on the track with the 2020 regulation and then uh, applying to the same car in the same moment, more or less, the 2021 regulations. Um, the diets probably plays also uh, against performance in LMP2 right now, so in Monza probably would mean, I don't know, something like 2.6, 2.8 seconds per lap. Right. Um, so yeah, at Le Mans, Monza. that's going to be probably five, six seconds a, a lap over yeah. the, the longer lap uh, uh, at Le Mans, which would, which would take uh, from last year, that would take an LMP2 car to somewhere in the mid 230s, 230, uh, maybe 233, 235, which is which is above the target of 2.30 for the LMH cars. How close to, to that target do you think the rule set um, has, has uh, the regulations have, have set that, that Toyota and, and Glickenhaus uh, will be with that car? At it, around it, or, or under it? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> I mean, if we look to the regulation itself and to the boundary that they, are, that they set there, um the the performance should be really really close to the to the targets that they set which is, is as far as i understood this this 3 minutes 30 in race pace yeah. and about 3 minutes 25 in qualifying yeah 
which is if you if you look at the data, it's really the performance that the 2020 LMP2 guys more or less had, mainly in qualifying. In race three, probably they were a bit slower, but yeah, very close. Um, the question here um, is re really regarding two parameters, in my opinion. The first one, from a pure perspe performance perspective, uh, are the tires. Because, again, the assumptions we use for our simulation um, may be slightly wrong, at least. I don't know. Uh, the, the loads and the conditions and the kind of stress that the LMH car would, would put on the dice would probably be different. So it could be that the, the, the manufacturer's Michelin had to, to adapt their designs a bit. I don't know what does Quite it heavy mean cars, exactly. Yeah. Right. I don't know what does it mean exactly in terms of performance, but... Um, I, I don't see a reason for them to really push the the, the really the, the the edge of performance. Let me say, being the sole supplier for the class. Yes. And the other factor that we are not totally sure about is again the aerodynamics, because the regulation stated to have a set, um, let's say, a defined efficiency, so the downforce to drag ratio, um, and as far as I understood, there are limits to the upper and lower limits to the downforce and as a consequence the drag that you can have um, uh, during the year, during the season, not only in Le Mans. So we based our assumptions on this data we got, uh, but uh, it's not clear how these targets are defined. Um, as you know, probably the, the aerodynamics of a car, of a race car, like a prototype, is really very, very much dependent on the ride dates that the, ride, that the guy is, is running on the drag. Um, so when you say, okay, the guy has to have a lift to drag uh, coefficient of four, but you don't tell me exactly in which part or in which conditions this uh, this target should be met. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we can speculate. <laughs> what does it mean exactly? Yes. Um, yeah, so, uh, still, still some unknowns uh, there, and, and perhaps that is uh, is deliberate as well by the rules makers because those are the areas that they can use to affect. Um, balance in, in performance by simply raising or lowering ride height, you could change the efficiency of a car within the bounds of safety, obviously. Yeah, exactly. This is also what came out of our article in Race Car Engineering. Again, we based this uh, particular part of the analysis on assumptions. So we assume that this 4 to 1 target and uh, let's say the overall uh, downforce coefficient had to be calculated as an average on the aeromap, what the, the teams call aeromap. So an average of all the downforce points that you would get in each combination of front and rear ride date, let me say. And um, and then we analyzed what would happen if we used two different approach on building up this aeromap. On one side, a car that is um, what I would call a peaky aeromap, so a car that would be extremely sensitive to ride dates um, in producing downforce. And another one that would have um, a slightly less lower sensitivity to ride dates with this respect. Um, so in a certain condition, the Dugas would produce exactly the same performance. But one car uh, would probably uh, reward much more if you could uh, keep uh, the, ride, the ride dates very low, for example. So maybe a risky approach on a long race like Le Mans. Mm. But still, um, it's a very important performance driver in this case. The other car on the other, on the other side would probably be more taller, 
would tolerate better, let's say, uh, a more conservative approach in terms of ride dates or, or, or stiffness, for example, for the suspension to control ride dates, um, because its aeromap is less sensitive to ride dates than the other one. So it's really, a, on one side, a question about the approach that the team will use, considering that Le Mans is an important race, but only, not, only, not the only race that we will have this year. And uh, also um, considering the uncertainty that we, uh, as a magazine, have regarding the regulation, probably yes. the manufacturers have, yeah, studied these aspects much uh, more in detail than we did. But that, that's that has to be considered at the design stage, uh, Andrea, uh, and that's interesting to me because the other thing, of course. The other aspect of these LMH cards is it's part of a global solution for top-line prototypes. And whilst in the FIA WEC, even at Le Mans nowadays, more and more of that circuit is actually a racetrack rather than public road, and that's going to continue um, to happen over the, the next few years. And, of course, the WEC mostly racing uh, on um uh, class one, grade one tracks, uh, Formula One surfaces, very smooth. You go to Imza, you race in Asia, perhaps, uh, in other ACO championships, which these cars are meant to be able to do. Those surface conditions are going to be very different. So de- designing the car with that, as you said, more conservative, more compliant aero map, if you're going to sell those cars to customers all the way around the world and you're going to want to compete all the way around the world, that's actually a decision you've got to make very early on in your in your aero program. Indeed, indeed. Actually, it's, it's absolutely correct. And um, this will also affect the way that, um, that the regulators could, uh, let's say, slow down or, or improve the performance of a car with regards to aerodynamics. I, I don't know exactly how a team approach this kind of work, but you are perfectly right. If you think to at Sebring, for example, yes. you, you, have to, you, you have to be, let's say, if you had the freedom to design a car for Sebring, specifically for Sebring, for example, you would use a completely different approach than in Le Mans or in Silverstone, for example. I mean, Sebring and Silverstone are both high downforce trucks, but as you said, Silverstone is like a billiard. I don't know, it's very smooth. Sebring is uh, more similar to a motocross race, if you want. <laughs> well, so, in, ter- yeah. in terms of the suspension movement, I've seen some traces from, from the, the cars around there. And if you add up all the suspension movement, it's an awful lot of movement in just one right. lap. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and of course, there you want to have uh, a stable aerodynamic platform also for the Correct. driver, not to, um, to, let's say, go go crazy to control the car in a different way in different parts of the drugs. Yes. So it's an interesting point. Again, of course, this is based on the assumptions that we uh, used. I don't know if the regulators uh, specified that in a different way. Correct. We are pretty sure that there is a kind of average that has been calculated or had to be calculated on the, on the aerodynamic map of the car. Not only focus on performance, but also on stability, of yes. course, for safety. That's mm-hmm. apparently a very important point for this new set of regulations. Um, but if uh, more or less what we did is uh, reasonably close to, to, to what the regulators did or meant, there is uh, for sure some room for interest also in terms of performance using uh, the ride it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated 
by this. And it does seem as though that these regulations have been um, fairly well thought out and, and will deliver. Um, you know, often you, you read the, the notes around the regulations and somebody who isn't technical tells you what they were trying to achieve. Uh, and the guys behind the scenes have had to do all, all the work to make that happen. It seems as though those, have two, those two have married up quite nicely with the ACO and the, the FIA in these LMH regulations. So coming back to Le Mans, Andrea, um, when we get cars on track for test day, uh, when we get cars on track prior to the race, uh, you're going to be watching things like split times for the different sectors of the track to, to see wh- whether your calculations are standing up to, to the real world. Uh, and what will you be able to learn from that? Yes, for sure. I mean, sector times are really, uh, uh, I mean, as a, as a spectator, you don't have much information when you look at the race. So for me, the the goal source are really exactly sector times, or anyway, lap times split it up uh, in as many sectors as possible. And that's a nice thing in Le Mans because you really don't have just three sectors, but for example, the Bosch curves are always calculated or anyway taken into account separately. Yes, one sector, and, yes. And another, another aspect that as a fan you are really uh, <laughs> interested in is, of course, any onboard that they will show, <laughs> because it's a really nice way. Uh, today, in an onboard, you really get a lot of data about the performance of the car, the speed, the RPMs, the accelerations that the car is experiencing. So for me, it would be really interesting to watch them and see if we got at least close to what uh, the real cars will do or not mainly in qualifying actually that's of course the the moment in a race where every guard tried to explore the the maximum performance depending also on their approach to the race but anyway it's normally the moment where you get the, the best lap times yes so uh, I, and with Le Mans, of course we have Iperpol now with just 24 cars out there so the opportunity to trip over other classes and and traffic is somewhat reduced from having the full 62 on track so it from your point of view, that's possibly the most pure data that you'll get over the weekend. Right, exactly. I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, the race is, of course, extremely fascinating, and I will watch that for sure. But uh, that very moment is really, uh, yeah, it will be for me also a kind of uh, validation to what we we assumed for, for this new guy, so I'm really looking forward to check if uh, we game close or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bet you are. It's been fascinating. Uh, just before we close, Andrea, uh, we're talking to Andrea Quintanelli from uh, the uh, Race Car Engineering magazine. Their Le Mans edition is out right now with the, uh, the new Peugeot on the front. Uh, just before we wrap up with it, Andrea, if you don't mind, um, uh, in terms of the start of a new set of regulations... As you say, you've got to make a few assumptions, as did the the rules makers. We know how good these teams are. From what you've seen from the regulations and from what you know from your experience in the sport, um, do you think that the ACO are going to have to, next year, uh, make some adjustments? Because from the 3 minutes 30 lap time 325 in in qualifying are we going to see big gains be possible with this rule set uh, and and get down under let's say 320 again for for qualifying or have the regulations been written with that in mind to be able to say well number one there's not much you can do once you've optimized your car and number two even if you do there's a few ways that we can we can slow you down again 
I, I really think that uh, the regulation are written in a way that on one side it will be really, really, really hard to come down a lot with performance. And uh, as you mentioned, I think they have the right tools to slow the guard down uh, right. should they be too fast. I mean, the the easiest way will be to adjust the engine power. They left a pretty big range, let me say, a big, pretty big window inside which the engine power can be adjusted. Mm. Um, and in any truck, but in Le Mans in particular, of course, adjusting the engine power is very, a very effective tool to, to balance performance, actually. Yes. Um, but to be honest, beside that, considering also that there will not be any any tire war, let me say, that the tire suppliers are set and it's um, a sole supplier for the glass. Honestly, I think that at least for this year, but probably also next year, uh, they will not have to bother too much. But that's my personal opinion, and I would be completely wrong. Um, <laughs> I bet you're, you're not completely at... wrong, Andrea. <laughs> I, we should mention that everything is homologated as well, and there's no evolutions allowed. So the cars that have been declared so far, the Toyota and the Glickenhaus, um, they, they've set their their um, their homologation for, for five years. Now, of course, we've still got to see the Peugeot and, and the, the new Ferrari and anybody else who comes in with an LMH. There may be some benefit of, of waiting a year to, to see how things settle down. But, but it, it sounds like we're in for some good competition, Andrea. Yeah, I mean, again, from an engineering perspective, you could discuss if this is really what uh, an engineer or anyway a technical fan would dream of. But from a pure racing perspective, I think that that could be very exciting. I, I agree. I mean, the car will perform very, very similarly to each other. So the race will, will be hopefully close. Yeah. Uh, which is what people seem to like nowadays, Andrea. Andrea Quintanelli, right. thank you very much indeed. Uh, a fascinating article in the current issue of race car engineering. As I said, it's the one with the, the Peugeot on the front. And whilst we'll all be watching very carefully and I hope you're going to listen to us here on Haggerty Radio Le Mans for the 2021 Le Mans 24 hours I suspect that Andrea Quintarelli will be seeing it with slightly different eyes Andrea and you'll be taking even more out of uh, out of what you see here and the, the data on the timing screens than all of the rest of us put together thank you so much for being with us it's been fascinating thank you it was really nice to talk to you really interesting this program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.